way to be with you all this morning. I really hope that you'll take the opportunity to attend that Transformations graduation. I hope you can see what a difference the Lord can make. Uh, if those pictures didn't really make that clear, you need to get your vision checked, all right? Um, the faces of before and after shots of those young ladies were just so different. I'm so thankful we serve a God that's still working miracles like those today. Can I get a witness? Awesome. And I don't, I don't want to brag too much on Chad Johnson, but uh, uh, Chad is, is who's putting on the fish fry. He caught 400 and some fish a couple of weeks ago. Um, he heads up that transformations ministry, and he is the, the definition of the opposite of the word we're going to be talking about today, which is sloth or laziness. This guy is running full throttle, uh, sun up to sundown. And if you see him, encourage him. Shake his hand, tell him you appreciate his ministry, love on him. As someone in ministry, I cannot tell you how much those words of encouragement mean. Just a smile and a handshake and, and a kind word really helps keep us going. So if you happen to see him, encourage that guy. He is a great man of God and he's doing some awesome stuff for the kingdom. I want to remind you where the seven deadly sins are found in Scripture. This is Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. I've got, these up, I've got this up on the screen for you. Now, this particular section of Scripture does not have what we in the church kind of would classically call the seven deadly sins. A guy named Pontius Evagrius in about 400 A.D. looked at this set of verses and wrote down eight deadly thoughts that could lead people into these seven deadly sins. From those eight deadly thoughts came seven deadly sins, and we've covered four after uh, my sermon today. Lust uh, was the first uh, sermon that we covered. I covered gluttony or overindulgence next. Mike did a fantastic job on greed last week, and now I'm going to be talking about laziness. I have tried also on the front end of these sermons to give you my understanding of how a person can get caught up in sins like these. And I want to draw your attention to Job chapter 5 and verse 7. I've mentioned this a couple of times before. But in Job 5, 7, the the Bible says, As surely as sparks fly upward, a man is born into trouble. And the truth is, in life, we are going to experience trouble and hardship and trial and tribulation. Uh, Job's on the screen for you, but but I could have put John uh, chapter 16, verse 33 up there. Uh, Jesus says in John 16, 33, I've spoken these words to you so that you might have peace. In the world, it's not that you might have tribulation or you probably will have tribulation. It's that you will have tribulation. Trouble and pain and trial and tribulation is a fact of life. And when we experience pain or hardship, the natural human reaction is to withdraw our hand from painful things. If I have a candle uh, up on stage and put my hand over the candle, automatically, instinctually, my natural self does what? Once my hand starts to get hot, I pull my hand away from the candle. And emotional pain works the same way. When I'm in an emotionally painful situation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something to resolve that. And it's right at that moment the enemy wants to entice us into sin. And, and th- those sinful things that he entices us with, if we commit those sins, the natural response is to hide 
those sins. That's what Eve does in Genesis, Adam and Eve do in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10. This is also on the screen for you. They eat the fruit that God asked them not to eat. The enemy appealed to their flesh in a vulnerable moment. They sinned, and what do they do? They hide. Uh, Adam says, uh, Lord, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The knee-jerk reaction for human beings when we sin is to hide that sin and hide that shame. But when we hide, we're putting walls up, and we're distancing ourselves from others and from God. And when we're isolated and we feel alone, that's painful. And so the solution, which is hiding, ends up causing more of the thing we were really trying to avoid in the first place, which is pain. So I wrote that in a uh, cycle that I also have on the screen for you. And it's what I would call the natural cycle. Things in life are going to happen that cause pain. In your natural self, you are going to try to avoid that pain, distract yourself from that pain, or numb that pain. And it's right at that moment the enemy's going to try to entice you with some cheap uh, worldly alternative to, to remedy your pain. And that's sin. And if we sin, we hide it. That's called shame, which leads to more pain. And I crossed out the word natural because the whole premise of this series is to stop doing what your natural self wants to do and start doing what the Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead that lives inside you wants you to do. So imagine you're going through life and you've had some significant failures, that that's your source of pain. Maybe you tried to get into a college that didn't accept you, or you've tried to get into a certain career field time and time and time again, and you just can't grow a beard long enough or shoot good enough to become one of the duck men. You know, that's a problem for a lot of us guys around here. And so we feel like failures. It's just not working. The the vision we have and the goal that we had in life just doesn't seem to be coming to pass. At some point, if I experience that pain of failure enough, I might stop trying. And that might be the way I tried to avoid that pain of failure. Because if I'm not trying my best and I fail, I can still rest my head on the pillow at night thinking, Well, I didn't fail because I'm not good enough. I failed just because I didn't do my best. And that's easier to tolerate. And when we learn to accept less than our best for long enough, we become lazy or slothful. And so laziness, as I'm going to define it today, and I've got this on the screen for you, is accepting less than your best. So I was talking to, I was actually reading a book a couple of years ago, and a, a minister was talking about laziness. And he gave an example. He said, one day I walked into my living room, and I saw my 16-year-old son laying on our couch. And he was watching HGTV. And the minister goes, you know, I thought to myself, it is really cool to see an old home, like, get transformed and how granite countertops just sometimes make a kitchen pop. But that's a really strange thing for a 16-year-old to be watching. So he said, I asked my son, like, dude, why are you watching HGTV? And the kid, like, motions towards the TV, and he's like, because the remote was all the way over there, and this is what was on when I laid on the couch. <laughs> that's laziness. That's, that's laziness. I promise you that was way, way less than that young man's very best. All right? So the Bible in James chapter 4, verse 17, this is not on the screen, says, if you know to do good and you don't do it, that's sinfulness. 
And I really feel like that's what God's intent is for us to learn today. And, and the truth is, you can be lazy. Normally, when we think of laziness, I think we think in terms of our career. Like, I'm lazy if I don't get up and start working at 5 a.m. and stop working at 5 p.m. And, and certainly you can be lazy in terms of your career, but you can, you can know to do good in almost any area of life and not do it. And that's sinful and it's lazy, whether that's in your marriage. Some of you are being lazy in your marriage. You're not surrendering your needs for the benefit of your spouse's needs. And you're becoming lazy and self-centered. And, and, and committing sin in your marriage. Some of you are being lazy in your career. You're not giving your best. Some of you are, are lazy as parents when you need to be engaged with your children. You're choosing to do your own stuff, and so you're really not giving it all that you could. Some of you it, it, it become lazy in your recovery. I know I need to be going to meetings. I know I need to be doing a book study. I know I need to be talking to my sponsor, but I'm choosing not to do it, and I become lazy. You can be lazy in any area of life. And my challenge to you this morning is to learn some biblical keys for dealing with that in your own heart. I want to give you a couple of scriptures that talk about uh, laziness. The first is from Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 18. The Bible says this, Through laziness the rafters sag, because of idle hands the house leaks. What this verse doesn't tell us is how big and grandiose the home is. We don't know if this is a castle or a shack. We don't know if this is the biggest house on the block or the smallest. What we do know is that this verse tells us things in life just tend to degrade over time. Things in life tend towards disorder. This is actually a natural physical law. It's the second law of thermodynamics for any of you physicists in the office. Uh, the tendency towards entropy, the law of entropy. Things in life tend Toward disorder. Let me give you an example from my personal life. I think my living room is alive because I can go to bed at night and have it completely picked up, and somehow by 7 a.m., there's blankets strewn about the living room, there's pillows that have fallen off the couch. Now, we do have three large, one large and two smaller dogs that live in my house, but it's like it, that living room is always cluttered. And so it doesn't matter how many times I pick it up. It's like it, it always needs maintenance. And if you'll think about those areas of your own life, I think you'll realize that what I'm saying here is true. If you didn't ever mow or manicure your lawn, some of you thought I was going to say your facial hair, some of you studly guys out there. If you didn't ever mow or manicure your lawn, what would happen to your lawn? It'd get overgrown, full of weeds, and start looking nasty. It tends towards disorder. If you never uh, trimmed your beard or cut your hair, it'd be all looking frizzy and crazy, especially in the Louisiana humidity. Ladies, can I get an amen? So things in life kind of tend towards disorder, and, and God's asking us to put some effort in to bringing order and stewardship into our lives. The principle I believe Solomon's teaching us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here is to make the most of what you've been given. To make the most of what you've been given. Through laziness, the rafters sag because of idle hands, the house leaks. But the opposite would be, if a person was hardworking, the rafters wouldn't be sagging and the house wouldn't be leaking. Uh, my, my grandma and grandpa on my mom's side of the family have lived in the same home for 42 years. They're in their 80s. And every time I go over to the house, the yard is very well manicured. 
The house is always picked up. Everything's put in its place, and it's, it's organized, and it's clean. And my mom's dad is an extremely hardworking handyman who can fix just about anything. And there isn't a leak in the roof. There isn't an appliance in that house that doesn't work. There isn't a, 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 a structural or significant issue anywhere in the home. And the reason why is because he's putting effort in and has put effort in for 42 years to make the most of what he has been given. And they're not wealthy people. My mom's mom was a paraeducator at a school, and my mom's dad had to take an early retirement for disability. And so they, uh, they realized, hey, we're never going to have the castle that's the biggest on the block. We're never going to have the nicest house or the most recognizable uh, uh, things in our yard. But we really can make the most of what we've been given. And that was a source for them of pride and ownership. And I hope that challenges you this morning. The second scripture I want to give you is from Proverbs. And it's Proverbs chapter 21, verse 25. The Bible says this, The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. To not try, because I've had the pain of rejection in my life so many times, is to not ever achieve. To not try is to not ever achieve. And I want you to know that you were designed for achievement. You were designed for achievement. Write down um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. The Bible says this, You were created in Christ Jesus to do, some of you know how that scripture finishes, Good works. You were created new in Christ Jesus to do good works. What that means is you were created in Christ Jesus to achieve something. You were created to achieve something. And I'm going to talk about what it is you're created to achieve a little bit later, but that's the purpose for which you've been designed, is for good works to achieve something. And if you've been designed to achieve something, what I believe is that every human being inside their heart has a desire to achieve. But if you have a desire to achieve and you're allowing the pain of rejection to cause laziness in your life, then that desire you've been given by God to achieve will never be realized. And a desire to achieve that's never realized feels like death and despair. And God's calling you this morning to rise up to that call, to good works, to achieve something, to realize your potential in Jesus Christ. If you don't, you'll be struggling with the emptiness that is felt by not answering the purpose for which you've been designed, to achieve good works. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I'm going to go New Testament here, gives us a section of Scripture that talks about this principle of laziness. So Paul says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary... We worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would be, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Verse nine is very important here. We did this not because we don't have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule: the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. 
couple of thoughts here. First, the Bible treats idleness, laziness, sloth. I feel like those are all pretty much the same thing as significant as sexual immorality. The Bible says flee from people uh, who are sexually immoral. Don't have anything to do with them. The Scripture also teaches us the same thing about people who are idle or who are lazy. Don't associate with these people. And then Paul gives an example of the kind of man he tried to be. A man who really put some effort into his calling to do and achieve good works. And I don't want you to get it twisted. Paul's not saying that there aren't people who don't have a right to be helped. My mind immediately went to James 1.27. This is not on the screen. But James says in James 1.27 that true religion is to help the fatherless and the widow. There are people in our community and in our church that God is calling us to help. That He doesn't expect to do everything on their own. And that's what I love about being in a church that has a forever family mentality. We want to circle around people who need help and love people who need help and help people who need help. And I was one of those people at one point in time. Kirsten and I were in Searcy, Arkansas. We had two kids. I had just quit my job. And we had zero money. And we qualified for uh, WIC and food stamps for uh, the three and a half months that we were finishing our journey in Searcy. And so I was getting helped from all of you good tax-paying citizens, which I appreciate. We moved down here. I got a job. I stopped needing that help. And now I'm happy to pay into the tax system for those people who do need help. And I, don't, and I think, too, when we transition to the government, uh, the care of the sick and the poor or the needy in our society, we lost a huge opportunity for ministry in the church. And I think we need to have the mentality that that is our responsibility. Not that we're going to expect Uncle Sam or Donald Trump or whoever's in office to take care of the poor and the sick and the needy. That's our responsibility. But if we don't need the help, we ought to be busting our tail to follow the example of Paul, who followed the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. The biblical solution, I want to give you the biblical solution, I believe, to laziness. And I'm going to explain this, I'm going to give you two scriptures, and I'm going to wrap up for today. The biblical solution to laziness is excellence. I think it's really easy to conflate excellence with success. And if you've got a pen, I'm going to be talking fast, but this is worth writing down. It's from a book called Leading the Way. And in it, the difference between success and excellence is defined, okay? Success is wanting to be the best. Excellence is wanting to be your very best. And I want you to have that kind of a mindset. I don't, want, I don't want to buy into our society's mentality, you have to be the best. I want you to buy into the biblical mentality of you need to be your very best. Okay, success is about being better than others. Excellence is about being better tomorrow than I was today. Success is about being better than others. Excellence is about being better tomorrow than I was today. Success is all about having achievements that are better than anybody else's achievements. Excellence is all about making sure my practice matches my potential. And I already told you, you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's Ephesians 2.10. What, what that means about your potential in Christ Jesus is that it's unlimited. So you better be busting your tail in practice so that it can match the unlimited potential you have in Christ Jesus. That's what excellence 
is about. The scripture in my mind that I go to when I am battling being lazy is Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. I got this on the screen, and I want you to write this down. Because there are going to be moments where, you are, where God challenges you to get busy for Him, for your calling, to achieve good works, to really realize your potential, and the enemy is just going to start beating you up and trying to get you to remember all those moments of rejection or past failure or unmet uh, dreams and goals and aspirations. And he's going to try to suck the wind out of your sail And my mind always goes back to this set of verses because in these set of verses, God gives us a guarantee that whatever we sow, we will guarantee. That's the guarantee. We will reap. Let me read this to you. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That's one of the most blessed guarantees you're going to find in Scripture. But God also gives you the chance to decide what it is that you're going to sow. Whoever sows to please the desire of their flesh, in other words, whoever sows into the natural that gets caught up in sin and tries to hide the sin with the shame and then it causes more pain, people who sow to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. But if you surrender the natural and you decide, I'm going to follow after the Spirit, then from the Spirit you'll reap eternal life. So don't get weary and working hard. Don't get weary in resisting the urge to be lazy or to sit on the sidelines of the game or be a Monday morning quarterback. Don't be weary in doing good. Here's why, church. Guarantee at the proper time, right when you need it, when it feels like all your energy is gone and you've been working at something for 10 years and you don't have the strength left to keep moving forward or to continue the journey or keep loving my spouse or stay in my recovery or develop my family, whatever it is, you at the proper time, guaranteed, will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Guaranteed, if you will sow seeds of excellence in the areas of your life that God has called you to achieve good works in, he will, he will increase the blessing of those seeds that you have sown. Guaranteed. So what do I think is required if you're going to really start striving for excellence in your life? I think you've got to become excellent in two areas, and it will take care of every other area. The first is you've got to be excellent inside. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Excellence, to me, is defined as anything you do with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the first thing you've got to do if you want to become excellent is love Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Your pain is going to gravitationally pull you towards natural things that are quick fixes that only cause more pain. Your spirit is going to pull you to loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. God will empower you to love Him in an excellent way, but you're going to have to do this every single day. But if you'll sow those seeds into your life through faith, God will absolutely, 100%, give you a reward at the proper time if you don't give up. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to get excellent on the outside. You've got to get excellent on the outside. Uh, whatever you do, that Colossians 3.23, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Here's a couple of things that I think about this verse. The first one is most people don't achieve excellence because they haven't really made a diehard commitment to stay in the saddle. 
When I was working on my doctorate degree, we had three kids under the age of three. We had just moved to a new city. We're staying in an apartment that felt like a dungeon. It had mold in the air conditioning vent. My wife was sick almost constantly. It was a really, really difficult situation. And there were so many times I wanted to just give up. I want to pack my stuff, move back home into my parents' basement, and get a job doing something, anything that was easy. But I made a diehard commitment to finish that journey. And so when it really got difficult to stay on track, I just had to remind myself that I have that switch flipped to the on position of commitment. And that will work in your marriage. That will work as a parent. That will work in any other area of your life. The other thing I want you to remember is you've got to focus on what is achievable. What's sexy and fun in life is to have these really big, grandiose plans that nobody could ever achieve anyway. And then if I don't achieve it because no one could have, it's really not that big of a deal. Probably the start to becoming excellence in your life is to find in one or two really achievable areas to surrender to Christ in more and commit to taking those to the, to the level of excellence that God is calling you to. I think those are the two major reasons people aren't able to finish The last thing I want to say is it is really uncomfortable to be a farmer, especially in Louisiana, especially in this kind of heat. But it's in the discomfort of daily sowing and tending your field that you eventually reap a harvest. So if you're doing something that hurts a little bit, it's probably a good thing. If you can learn to value that and appreciate it and move towards some of those difficult things in life that God's calling you to achieve excellence in and continue sowing seeds of excellence and continue not growing weary in well-doing, I promise you, you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. Some of you are in the middle of difficult situations right now today. You've been sowing seeds and waiting on a harvest and sowing seeds and waiting on a harvest. And it is so easy right at this moment to think, I'm going to throw in my towel on my marriage. I'm going to throw in my towel on my recovery. I'm going to throw in my towel on trying to rebuild my finances or start this business or uh, love my boss and and work for him like I'm working for the Lord. I want to encourage you, if you're just at that place and need prayer, we, we invite you to respond this morning. We want to pray over you and encourage you. Maybe you've got a need totally unrelated to what I've been speaking about. We also want to encourage and pray for you this morning if that's you. I'm going to close in prayer, and when I finish praying, I invite you to stand with me while we sing a verse or two of a song. Let's bow. Let's bow. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for truth and for the power we get by your spirit to sow seeds of excellence And I thank you for the power you give by your spirit to bring about a guaranteed harvest. All we got to do is not give up. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for each person that's here today. I ask your blessing over each of them. And for all those who could not attend, Lord, we ask a blessing over them as well. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.